This call is being recorded. Hello and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. We have as our guest today, Mark Pittman, who is the author of his forthcoming book. Has it launched yet, Mark, or is it forthcoming? Forthcoming. Forthcoming book, The Surprising Gift of Doubt. Hold on a minute. I'll get it. Here it is. The Surprising Gift of Doubt, Use Uncertainty to Become the Exceptional Leader You Are Meant to Be. Very good. I wanted to get that right because it has a message in it all by itself. Well, thank so you. Yeah, I believe that we can all be, everybody has the potential to influence some uh, somebody else, and that's leadership. Well, something is as is, is important as is, is your book that you know, I certainly didn't want to rush it and get it wrong. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> that's a no-no. <laughs> um, I, I like that very much because I, I tuned into the, the questions, uh, the list of questions that you had. And uh, with almost every one of those, I, I, was, I was giving it a, uh, an answer, which I believe turned out to be, as, as we'll go along here, the various answers um, to some of those. Um, I, um, I think that one thing that dealt with having favorite books and movies can shed a light on your own ownership, or excuse me, your own leadership style. And, mm. and, and I thought about that and I thought, well, you know, what that does, it reminds us, I think, of who we are and what we're doing. And it gives us an outside perspective too, um, almost permission to be the best of ourselves. That um, uh, a, I, I picked up this tip from and use it with coaching clients uh, from a guy named John Eldridge in his book Epic. He talks about how sometimes we can't see our own gifts and abilities and strengths and even our, our own greatness, but it can be one of the ways we can uh, learn from that is. What are the characters we're constantly drawn to in story? Uh, and I've seen that with my myself and with my coaching clients that they just, there is a freedom to really be attracted to certain things, certain great characteristics in other people's story that actually reflects back on them when uh, there's, I'm able to say, well, this looks like your situation. <laughs> there was one, one person who kept, came back and he said, Everybody thinks it's a, a silly exercise. What are the what are the people that I resonate with in movies and books? I don't know. And this one person came back <laughs> and um, said, "Well, I'll do it." And he, the next call, he said, "Yeah, I got nothing for you." Um, it's just the <laughs> Sean Connery character in Hunt for Red October and the Kevin Costner character in Dances with Wolves. That's all I got. Um, uh -huh. So, having <laughs> not watched Dances with Wolves, I took it upon myself to do research before our, our next call. <laughs> Uh -huh. the two, there are so many similarities with those two characters. They're both military characters. They were both trying to learn the, the culture of their enemy, their perceived enemy, and trying to find, uh, appreciate, had an appreciation for and trying to find characteristics, similarities with them 
and it threatened their military backgrounds, uh, their their military establishment that they had raised up into officer being officers and leaders in. So they were being attacked by the existing structure. When I parsed that together for this client, he was a broadcasting uh, CEO of a broadcasting firm that had radio and TV, and the radio was overtaking the TV at this point. But the TV and the union wanted to go back to the 1950s when they had to have big big studios because the equipment was big and needed to cool down. And he was they were sending poison pen letters to the board to try to get this guy fired. Um, it turns out he was very much, and he was willing to look into even digital apps and see how can we do broadcasting and how can we uh, do citizen journalism? How can we really take advantage of the web and streaming media to to do our broadcasting in addition to airwaves? Um, so he was willing to look into the things that were threats and uh, see possible combinations there. And it really risked, it felt risky uh, and, and threatening to the established way of doing things from 50 years ago. So he, we it became a touch point for us going forward. He was that person of integrity, the person that had a vision that was actually right, uh, according to those characters. And um, it just helped him give context to the stress he was feeling and a sense of purpose to continue pushing through, which was exciting. And that seems to be pretty consistent when people do that exercise. Yes, I, I would see uh, see that very much. Um, you know, the surprising gift of doubt. I, I don't know that people are going to actually, if they dwell upon that, I, I think they're on their way to success in terms of learning from what you have in your book. Um, well, it's, it's not the way we're taught leadership, is it? Was that the way you yeah. were taught leadership? That well, yeah. doubt is normal. Well, of course, uh, it was only 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 because you're in a wartime. Um, okay. And and you're you're all if you want to live longer and you want your crew, your your crew or your squad or your platoon to live longer, then you'll make you know you'll make do with these things that you're given. And you check them, and you recheck them, and you check them again, and you check them again. You know, and that's that. That's not necessarily uh, doubting yourself, but it certainly can be if you don't know how to do it. <laughs> that is true. Um, I find where this is the uh, surprising gift of doubt came out of a almost twenty years now of coaching, being an executive coach, and having a number enough people ask me, "What do you do?" And I'd say, "Well, I'm an executive coach," and they'd have that sense of, "Oh, okay." And then you'd see this puzzle that come on their face. <laughs> so what, what do you do? <laughs> and uh, um, the, the, I think with so many leaders, we are raised to think that you have to be confident. You have to be the kind of John Wayne sort of stoic person. Um, and when they start, we start out in our leadership journey or, or whatever our influence is, when we're given some sort of title or some responsibility over a set, a, a, something, there's a, there is a level of confidence because of other people. Somebody else sees something in us and we're excited for that, or we've already seen this in ourselves, and we're excited that somebody else finally agrees. But uh, the the leadership people I listened to growing up would say that if you're a leader, and you turn around, and no one's following you, mm -hmm. you're just out for a walk. Mm -hmm. And that's where the, our confidence starts going down. So the stuff that we copied from other people isn't working for us. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the way that that coach or boss or teacher did their stuff, that's not that looked so natural to them and I'm trying to do it, but nobody's responding to me the same way that they respond to that person. So it causes us to start to try to fix what's broken. We look at, you know, podcasts and books and, and conferences and 
um, we try to figure out how to do goal setting and how to do time management, how to cast vision and how to influence people. And uh, so the, in that doubt space, though, none of those situations are perfect for us because there are usually other people's systems that have parts that we can use, but we don't know normally we think we have to use the whole thing and we're a failure if we don't. So then we lurch from one system to the next, which mm -hmm. perpetuates this really, people can have a lot of success in there, but it's uh, not a very good feeling. It's always feeling like I must be faking it. I must not be the leader everybody else thinks I am because if they only knew the doubt that I feel, um, when, what you find out talking to leaders is it's very normal. <laughs> and there is a gift in that too. Right. No, I, I, I understand it completely. Um, the, um, the, the part about the question someone asked about the uh, leaders born or made, um, that, 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 that's an easy one for me. Um, you know, they're yeah, well, I'd love your take on it. What, what would you say? Well, they're made over and over and over. Uh, <laughs> that's good. You're, you're, you're not done unless you, you know, unless you remake it. Um, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, personality, you know, you've got some people that can, you know, introduce themselves to you or, or something and have a lot of spunk and whatever. But, um, you know, when it comes to critical uh, leadership, uh, you know, that's mm. made. Those, those people in a, in a leadership position like that, they're made. You know, they've been made and they've, they've learned and they've, uh, you know, they know it. And that's why they were able to execute it. Yeah, there's. I think there are people that do have a a gift of authority, or there's some something compelling, maybe a, a kind of a charisma about them that they can. People are drawn and attracted to them, but that doesn't make them safe leaders or effective. <laughs> it could just mean that they have a good personality. So you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. I think that um, everybody can learn to lead, and some of my favorite books show how people that even the the least you know, stereotypical in our cultures, uh, personality styles can like introverted people can be incredibly effective leaders because they actually listen to the people around them and they actually take time to think where the more extroverted people um, are often verbally processing or doing stuff, you know, ready, fire, aim. They're taking a shot and then aiming it to see where it goes, which isn't necessarily wrong, but in the, in the, in a, particular situation that could be very bad and very ineffective right right something here that i'm not familiar with that you could explain for me is the uh importance of hardwiring mm. one of the i love this when it's just helping people become um kind of just figure out how they're created um how, what their how, what their unique way of operating in the world is i'm a, an assessment junkie so i love looking at hardwiring and the one that most people start with when I work in organizations is something that I call behavioral hardwiring, which is like the disc, you know, extrovert, introvert, people centered, task centered, you have four quadrants and you choose a, lay, a number or you fit into one of those quadrants. And, and some of the more sophisticated ones uh, acknowledge that there are blends of each of those, which is helpful. I like that because it helps us to see the behavior and we can observe somebody's behavior and see, Oh, they're a fast talking person that talks about, facts they may be you know an extroverted task centered person or a high d but um, there are other hardwiring um, tools out there like the highlands abilities battery which is this bunch of corporate tests that were put together uh, a few decades ago and have been continually validated since 
where you're put under time pressure to do something that's seemingly crazy. Um, it just it doesn't make any sense and you're doing it, but it's showing you how quickly, how your brain makes connections and how quickly you operate. So it's a sort of a deeper hardwiring, like a basic ability, your core ability hardwiring mm-hmm. uh, that kind of creates the, the behaviors. And then there's the motivational hardwiring, which I love using the Enneagram for, which tells the story you're operating out of. Just because you're a fast talker or you get stuff done doesn't indicate what the, uh, the story you're operating out of. There could be any number of stories that you're operating out of. So having that stack, that hardwiring stack, uh, can be very helpful in just also figuring out why are those other people so weird? Why aren't they responding? Why are they, how, how, why are they doing those weird things? Um, so that, yeah, so the hardwiring part I find is a really in, intriguing base to continue just to have that self-reflection of, oh, there I go again, creating a plan before I even study to see if a plan is needed. Um, or there I go again, shutting my door to amass more information before actually picking up the phone and calling someone to start things in motion. Right, right, right. <laughs> the, um, here's one here I liked. Um, taking cues from both external sources and internal sources. Now, I would think that the ultimately the internal sources are going to be the most important because they're going to have to jumble the external sources and choose which ones are going to in, enforce or shouldn't be. Brilliant. Yes, that's exactly it. And I think what when um, that process I was talking about following other people and then your confidence getting shaken and lurching from program to program um, is that is all external cues. You're looking at other people or what other people's writings and systems. And I think that's where the gift of doubt is, where there are good th- good people to follow and good systems to learn from, but they're not our systems. And so we have an inv- doubt can mean that you're broken as a leader and that's there's, you know, therapists and other really helpful fields for that. But I think in my experience, it's more often an invitation to go into the internal and to pay attention to the things that people tell us not to. Well, don't listen to that. Those are just your emotions. You got to let your thoughts, you know, be the, the, the engine and your emotions are the caboose and they'll just follow wherever your thoughts are. Or, um, you know, just look at the hard data. Don't look, don't let's not get emotions into this. Uh, there is a part where listening to your nudges and that inner check of, that's just not how we do things is fruitful to explore. It doesn't mean that you're going to change everything because there is some good data like uh, in helping move people forward and different, like for nonprofits, there are fundraising data that shows how to ask people for money effectively. Um, And even if you're uncomfortable with that, um, it's the right way to do things. It's a studied field and we can learn how to do it in our own personal way, our own organizational way. But the internal cues was the hardwiring. It's also the stories that you talked about. You know, one of the tools of which is looking at the characters you you are attracted to. Another tool is goal setting and including a a form of goal setting that's not just your work, but it's all of you, your whole person, um, because that helps you to see a bigger picture of yourself and kind of why you might want to take risks in different ways. And you can articulate that to people more clearly as you, as you figure out your mission and your vision and your purpose. Um, and I, and I, I think you heard me, John, even say it's individual, but it's also organizational because some organizations aren't going to do what all the other organizations are doing. And it's fruitful to be able to explain why we're different. Um, and then that can become your, your USP, your unique selling proposition or the way you attract and retain staff and clients. So there's, 
I love the invitation of taking those internal cues and the confidence that that brings because we know why we're doing things. We know that we've done them this way before and we don't know if the future is going to be the same. Like at the beginning of the pandemic, we don't know, there were no, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we knew, but the leaders that had done the internal work could know the things that weren't going to change. We're still going to do everything we can to take care of our team. We're still going to do everything we can to take care of our customers or, you know, there's, there's certain core values that could have been expressed and were expressed by certain organizations that helped them kind of navigate. It's like a compass instead of a roadmap. They didn't know where the road was going, but they knew the compass that they were going to keep following as they, as they were on this adventure or this right. nightmare. <laughs> depending mm-hmm. yeah. on how you look One or the other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a dream, but it could have been a nightmare. <laughs> You're right. You know, I have a, uh, I have a lot of admiration uh, from history. If you look at history, those were the the champions and those, I guess the winners and losers, you could probably divide them. Um, and a couple of, couple of people uh, that I uh, admire uh, to a great extent are go back to the civil war. Uh, you've got, you've got Grant and you've got Lee and both of them were, were generals and both of them were um, uh, you know, unbelievable uh, what they did and how they did it and how they kept on doing it. It was just uh, an amazing feat, I think. And they all had one key thing that was, you know, that, that they shared was they were so organized. Um, it's, it's something that, uh, that people sometimes think I'm ready, I'm ready, but you're really not ready unless you're really ready, ready. Well, and there's that. So there's a sense too. I know you've probably experienced this too. That where, like, for as a for self-employed people, when you have clients that are calling you to do a service that you don't advertise that you offer, and you feel like you don't have that because, but people are asking you to do it, you may be more ready to do that than you think you are. Um, and uh, even even with the organized thing, there's a uh, one way of doing business for the business leaders that is you build a business that you can then sell. And that's the goal of business. But there's this wonderful school of thought called the thought leaders practice. I think it was based out of Australia that Mm -hmm. there are other types of leaders who want to be in this all the way through. They don't think they'll ever retire. And so there's this whole system they've created of spawning different products and services and offerings every quarter and seeing which ones stick um, and not having a staff and, and doing it very autonomously. And I think that's where you can start learning, oh, I, I appreciate the franchise-like model or the uh, Michael Gerber e-myth model, but I'm more of a thought leader practice person, so I don't have to feel like I'm slacking or lacking or deficient because I don't fit the, I don't want to hire anybody. So I'm not a bad business leader. I just have a different way of doing it. Uh, very freeing and very validating, I think. I think so, too. I think so, too. Uh, of course, there's a word on this page that I couldn't escape talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's called integrity. Shocking. I was wondering if you were going to mention that. No, I, <laughs> when you invited me, I knew that we had a lot in common because of that word. Yeah. <laughs> well, give me your definition uh, of working in integrity. What, there's So I will give my spin on it. I don't know if it's a definition, but... Um, when you put together your hardwiring, your stories, your goal setting, your mission, vision, purpose, all your values, when you are 
increasingly clear on what those are, you start working in a much more integrated fashion. So it's not just you're hardwiring on one level and you're working against it because your work has you do something else or your goal setting is just a, uh, about one facet of your life instead of not, not all facets. So you start working integratedly and that and I, that's how I with my clients talk about working with integrity because you're working with your whole being and you're bringing it all together in each wherever you are wherever you happen to be showing up. Um, so that's where I love, the, and and so my publishers call it the integrity model because integrity is spot in the center there, but it becomes that still point, that kind of stability place that you can operate from, even if you don't know what, it gives you a lot of flexibility too, because you have a center point that you can anchor in and respond to the things that are coming at you. Yes. How would you define it? Yeah, I looked at that and I just, while you were talking, I, I wrote out a sentence and it says uh, you're in sync with yourself and those you are leading Ooh. i like that and you know sometimes the hard part is getting in sync with yourself absolutely yeah a lot of people don't want to do the work and they can have great success without doing the work which levels of success i mean there's any number of organizations that are run by people that aren't doing to do the work but i think there's a mm -hmm. emptiness at some point that um you know is this all i've done is this all there is that um people that have done that inner work um can have a much more kind of they much more of a i keep saying purpose i don't want it to become trite but there's a a solidity to the things that they're doing there's a there's a more lasting impact or there's a greater purpose that they're doing it for. Yes, I, I agree. And uh, it's, uh, it's there. It's always there. It's yeah. whether or not you want to, you, you, you want to take it and use it and, and have it uh, be well for you and yourself. Uh, yep. And it's changing. And it's also kind of just part of the questioning you talked about in the beginning, um, just checking, checking your tools, checking your systems. One of the things to check is what are we, how do we gauge success? I think coming out of the time we're in right now with this pandemic, there are, is an openness to just, there's a lot of things that were happening 18 months ago that we that aren't happening now. And uh, I think one of the fears that I have for organizations is as more and more people get vaccinated and people start getting to whatever the new normal is, that they will start feeling like we have to take up all those things that we dropped during the pandemic. And I don't think everything needs to be taken back. Um, I think there's there can be a, there's a, an open an invitation to some some level of increased relationship um, and checking in with each other that doesn't have to be against business goals, but I think can bring a lot more meaning uh, to to the work that people are in and help us retain employees longer because it's a lot more effective to retain employees than it is to uh, churn through them because we're not clear on what we're asking our employees to do. Right. No, that's good advice. Very good advice, Mark. Uh... Tell my audience how they can find you. One of the easiest ways is putting Mark, M-A-R-C, Pittman, P as in Peter, I-T-M-A-N, into Google. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Concord Leadership Group is the uh, brand that oversees all the companies that I help run. And uh, just Googling the surprising gift of doubt will lead you to a page there that shows you about the book. And at the time of this recording, uh, some of the pre-order offers that we, we have the book launches on March 23rd, so we're pretty excited. Oh, that's great. That's terrific. That's, it's exciting, very exciting.
I um I want to thank you for for being our guest today, Mark. Well, thank and, you for having uh, me. It's been a tremendous honor. Well, it's um, you know some, sometimes I have have people that I that I you know come and sync with. There's another word again. That's a sync word. <laughs> and, and and some some I don't. And this 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 had uh, lots of sync to it. I um, want to thank my listeners and uh, for watching and listening to Searching for Integrity. And so long and happy trails to all.